This is Linux Reality, Episode 5, Version Numbering. Hey everybody, this is your host, Chess Griffin. Uh, thanks for checking out this podcast. Uh, got some great comments from the episode last week. Uh, do do appreciate it. And man, we got a lot of people posting there on the Frapper map. That is just so that is just so awesome. You got to go check it out. We're over 100 people now. If you haven't done it, please go to the LinuxReality.com website, click on Frapper map, and then put your little push pin on the on the world map there. It's so awesome to see where everybody's from. Um, I mean, we've got folks. You know, we've got a lot of folks in in Europe, in uh, the Middle East, in uh, some folks in China, several people down under in, uh, in Australia, just all over the place. And I just love seeing that because it just goes to show you that Linux is really a global thing. It's just a global phenomenon. And, you know, I tell people that you know, I have to get in my soapbox here just for a second. I apologize. But, you know, there's so many things in this world these days that tend to separate us, you know, people from different cultures, different countries. And it's just I just hate seeing that because, you know, this is a small world. We all got to live together. We're all the same, you know, when you really get down to it. And so many times in the news and stuff, you see about stuff that divides us, that it's great to see something like Linux that can bring us together. And that's just one of the one of the great things about Linux. I mean, you've got developers all over the world. You've got just all kinds of input from people of different backgrounds, and it really creates a cool melting pot almost of, a, of an operating system. So anyway, the Frapper map just kind of illustrates that, and I just think that's fantastic. You know, incidentally, speaking of the international um, Linux community, personally, I think that's where the real exciting stuff is going on, and I think that's where the Linux adoption is going to come first. It seems to me that, that kind of looking at Linux news stuff that more and more, I mean, more often than not, you'll see stories about Linux adoption in in countries other than the United States, and you know you read about other governments and municipalities and universities who are adopting Linux or trying it out, and maybe it's because you know some folks in those countries may be more a little bit more forward thinking in this regard. I mean, Microsoft may not have as much of an influence there as it does here, unfortunately. So I got to give you know you got to give props you got to give a hat tip to our international friends because that is where the exciting linux stuff is coming from and that's where the linux adoption is really going to start i firmly believe that microsoft is going to lose its grip on the international market first and because linux has has got lower costs it's easier especially for developing countries it's easier for linux to get some inroads there and so anyway, I just love seeing, I just love looking at the map and seeing where everybody's from. So please do that. I do appreciate it. All right, I'll get off the soapbox now. All right, we're going to get to the uh, program here in just a second. But before we do, let me play this little promo of another podcast that I think you might be interested in. Like free software? Better yet, like free software with the power to make it something different and better for everybody? Valid Syntax is a short 10-minute podcast looking at the status of open-source projects as reported at SourceForge and FreshBeat and others you might find useful for any OS. Also, with your help, we'll spotlight on each show a project of the day, editorials, and possibly have a little fun along the way. So join me twice a week for all this and more at ValidSyntax.com. Remember, without Valid Syntax, you can't do anything. All right, so that website is validsyntax.com, and I encourage you to check them out. They've got a lot of cool things going on over there. 
All right. Well, let's check out some listener feedback. Message for you, sir. Okay, got a few emails here I want to get to. Um, first one is uh, uh, from listener John. Um, he wrote me uh, last week, actually just right around the time episode four came out, and he said, uh, Dear Chess, I've been a Linux user for about two years, and I recently stumbled on your podcast. I just want to say that I think you're doing a fantastic job with this thing and helping to fulfill a much-needed service within the Linux community. Um, and then he talks about sort of uh, first discovering Linux, but he goes on to say something interesting. He said, the problem I had initially, however, was the powerful RTM, read the manual, mentality prevalent amongst many of the experienced users, both on the Internet and in person, to whom I turned for help. The result, and I'm sure this is true for many other Linux users out there, is that I had to learn a lot of stuff on my own. This sort of mentality makes the learning process much more painful than it has to be and potentially puts a lot of curious parties off Linux. I think this mentality needs to be changed and is only with the help of resources such as Linux Reality that this will be achieved. Well, John, you know, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I found the same thing when I first started using Linux several years ago. And, uh, you know, it didn't bother me as much because, you know, I'm pretty computer savvy, I guess. I grew up with computers. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a tinkerer. I like doing things myself and figuring out stuff on my own. But, you know, for most people out there, you know, your mom and pops, you know, kid sister, your, you know, neighbor, a lot of people just don't, you know, they're not into that kind of thing and they're not like that. And, you know, just telling someone to go Google for the answer, um, while I understand what that means, they're trying to get people to, to be independent and to learn things out for, learn things for themselves. I think, you know, initially some, for some people there needs to be a little bit more handholding. And, you know, that kind of RTM or more often than not RTFM, you know, uh, read the frickin' manual, it just doesn't help. I mean, that just doesn't help those kind of people, and it really will turn those folks off. So I do hope that this podcast helps just a little bit in that regard. That's what I'm trying to do is make things easy, plain English, you know. I'm just, you know, make it just so anybody can listen and, and hopefully learn some of this stuff. So thanks for that email, John. And then I uh, got an email here from Tim. This one, you know, <laughs> made me laugh, so I thought I had to read it. Um, he says, uh, Chess, nice podcast, good sound quality, good content. I'm not a total noob, but I listen anyway. I could have used these podcasts about a year ago. I'm sure your efforts will help a lot of people. Hey, nice website, too. My only criticism is that you don't swear or drink during the show. Come on, loosen up. <laughs> well, that's pretty funny, um, Tim. You're right. Uh I, as far as the swearing goes, you know, I'm trying to keep this pretty clean, trying to keep it family friendly. Besides, I got my kids in the room next door, so you know how it is. Um, but the drinking, you know, that's not a bad idea. I kind of like that. Maybe I could, you know, maybe I, could, you know, have a have a nice pilsner or kell or, or Guinness or something during the show. That would be pretty cool. I'll have to check with the wife on that one. But um, thanks, Tim. I do appreciate the feedback there. So thanks again, guys, for that uh, feedback. Thanks to everybody else for sending the feedback. You guys are a great audience. It really is awesome to get that, to get those emails. Please do that. Please feel free to send the audio comments too. You know, I've been kind of mentioning that, haven't gotten any yet. If you want to record a little MP3 file, just do it, shoot it my way, and uh, you know, I'll play it on the air. And uh, I think that'd be kind of cool. So send all feedback to LinuxReality at gmail.com. So with that, I guess we should um, wrap up the listener feedback and turn to the main segment of the show where we're going to talk about version numbering. Okay, now 
I, I realize that the idea of talking about version numbering is just, you know, it's not that sexy, but, um, it, you know, and this is the kind of thing that's, that's sort of second nature to folks who are pretty familiar with Linux, but I received a lot of emails from folks, you know, after last week's episode when I was talking about distributions and, and they were asking questions, you know, they just didn't really understand what I meant when I was talking about di- different versions and going back in time and all of that. And, you know, it, it may seem very basic to those who use Linux, but but it's these kind of basic comp- these kind of basic concepts that I want to talk about in this podcast because I want, you know, there's it's it's hard to find a place where you just kind of get a simple explanation of something something like this. So, um, so the so my thought this week was to talk about version numbering. You know, um, how Linux distributions are numbered, why they're numbered, you know, why why things are set up that way, and that way. Um, you know, folks who are new to Linux can maybe get a better sense of of of, of how all that works when comparing distributions and, and stuff like that. So, um, the the idea of numbering it's certainly not unique to Linux. I mean, even Windows has has numbers. I mean, uh, you know, there was Windows 3.1 and then Windows 95 and then Windows 98, Windows ME, Windows XP, and all that. Um, and the idea of numbering, you know, well, it's in the Macintosh as well with current OS 10. You know, I think right now it's OS uh, 10.4 Tiger, and before that was 10.3 Panther, and before that was 10.2 Jaguar. So, you know, what people do, these, you know, computer developers, they number their their um, application or their operating system, and the number will basically, you know, generally speaking, will increase as a new version comes out. So, you know, at its most basic level, you you know, somebody creates something and they say, okay, this is version one. And then they fix it and make changes and then they release a new version and they say this is version two. In the Linux world, I guess the starting point for numbering really would be the Linux kernel. And if you'll remember from the first episode, you know, I talked about the Linux kernel and described it as sort of the brains of the Linux operating system or the Linux distribution. And it, this is the little thing that was that was created by Linus um, 10 or 15 years ago and is now maintained by a group of people, including Linus. And the Linux kernel itself is numbered. Currently, uh, as we speak in March 2006, the, the current stable version of the Linux kernel is 2.6.15. So there's three digits there. When Linus first released uh, the, the Linux kernel back in the early 90s, I think, now don't quote me on this, I don't, you know, have my exact numbering precise, you know, but you'll get the idea. I think, you know, the first version was, let's say, 0.01, you know, 1 one-hundredth. The next version would have been 0.02, 0.03, and then he gets up to 0.09, and then the next one after that is 0.1, just typical decimal counting. At one point along the way, I think he was in the 0.3 range, 0.35, let's say, he realized he felt that the Linux kernel was stable enough and he wanted to call it 1.0 just because there's something about 1.0 seems a little bit more final than than a, you know than a than a number less than 1 and then again over time you know further work developed and and uh you know several years ago Linux kernel 2.0 came out and you know there were numbers in between so there was maybe you know 1.1 1.2 and actually, the way the Linux kernel has historically been developed is that the even numbers have been the stable versions, and the odd numbers uh, have been the have been the um, have been where all the development work goes. And I mean the decimals. So, for example, 
2.0 was a stable Linux kernel. And then, and then after that was released, then they, the, you know, all the Linux developers, the kernel developers started working on 2.1. And 2.1, being the odd number, 2.1, was sort of a testing zone. You know, they could work on things, fix things, and, and, and work on the next version. And then when it got to a stable point, they sort of froze it and they said, okay, now this is going to be called 2.2. So that was the next stable version. Again, the even numbers were stable, the odd numbers were development. As I said, we're currently on 2.6.15. You know, they add another, you know, another place, another decimal place to further refine the differences. So 2.6.14, and then they tweaked it and fixed it, and then they said, okay, that's 2.6.15. Just a little, just a little incremental change, just a little incremental number change. The next current version, or the next stable version of the kernel, I think will be 2.8. Incidentally, a few years ago, I think in 2004, the kernel developers decided to not do 2.7 as a development tree. They sort of changed it a little bit. I think the way they're doing it now is that 2.6 is going to be stable and development. So it's a little, there's a lot going on in the kernel development world right now. But at some point, 2.6 will become 2.8, and that will be the new version of the Linux kernel. So these these decimal numbering this decimal numbering system applies to Linux programs as you remember they're called packages and to all sorts of things. Linux distributions more or less operate the same way, but it gets a little bit more complicated, if you will. Uh, let's go back to our good friend distrowatch.com and we can see how this works. If you scroll down the list. Uh, you know, the right-hand side where we've got the list of, of distributions, let's click on SUSE Linux, the second one down. And you'll remember this from last week. This will show you the, the page on DistroWatch about SUSE Linux. And if you scroll down about halfway, you'll come to that big table again. Now, across the top are those version numbers. You know, in a way, the Linux distributions, in theory, would say they would start with version 1.0, and then they would tweak it and maybe have 1.1, 1.2, 1.3. And then whenever there's a, you know, a major change, a substantial change, they'll jump up to the next full number. So they would go 1.1, 1.2, 1.3, and then 2.0. Every distribution does this numbering system their own way. This whole numbering versioning system is, is really kind of a hodgepodge. There's no one way it's done. And so it does get a little complicated for folks who are new to this to, you know, it's hard to compare apples with apples. You know, it's, it's hard to compare SUSE Linux 10.0 with Debian 3.1. And those are both the current versions of those two distributions. So if you look at the SUSE table here, let's, let's ignore the first two columns because that's sort of beta and testing. Let's look at 10.0. That's the current stable version of SUSE Linux. That was released in October of last year. Previous to that, in April of last year, version 9.3 was changed was was released. You can see the change there, 9.3 to 10.1, so or 10.0. So there was evidently some kind of more substantial changes that took place between those two versions. Thus, the the jump from a 9. Point something to a 10. Point something. And again, scrolling across to the right, you can see going back in time how all the versions you know, descend as, as you go back in time and you can see the, you know, the jumps in the version number. Now this system, the way SUSE does it, has been sort of the traditional system, I guess, in Linux. 
if you click on your back button and um, if you scroll down to um, Mandriva, as you remember, they used to be called Mandrake Linux. Now, the recently they've sort of changed their numbering system. It's it's like a year, but if you go back further than that, you'll see they also have numbers. Starting if you go all the way to the right, the very first one, 5.1, then 5.2, then 5.3, and then 6.0. You'll also notice underneath there that they've got names. It's not uncommon for Linux distributions to sort of put a nickname on their version numbers. The numbers are easier to maintain in a you know in a in a chronological sense or something or or when creating a file tree it's easy to have numbers that will stay in order whereas names you know may not be alphabetical and, and it wouldn't necessarily be it wouldn't tie in a chronology kind of a way so the numbers are always uh, typically a primary versioning scheme but then the nickname can be sort of secondary if you scroll back on DistroWatch the most famous numbering system is Debian they're number seven right now if you click on Debian Let's take a look at that. Scroll down to their table. On the far right-hand side, the first version listed, the oldest one, uh, released in 1996, version 1.1, called Buzz. And then 1.2 was Rex. And then 1.3 was Bow. 2.0 was Ham. 2.1 Slink. 2.2 Potato. 3.0 Woody. And then 3.1 Sarge. That's the current version, the current stable version of Debian. 3.1, also called Sarge. Take a look at those names. Do they sound familiar? They are actually character names from the movie Toy Story. The developers of Debian, when they first um, started putting this distribution together, apparently you know liked that movie and just wanted to use characters from the from the movie Toy Story as the nicknames for the distribution. Look at the 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 two leftmost columns of Debian. One says testing etch, and one says unstable SID. Debian maintains a stable version of their distribution, currently 3.1 Sarge. They contain a slightly more developmental branch called testing, and that's nicknamed Etch. And then they have a very unstable, if you will, lots of lots of development called unstable. And there and the stability is kind of in that order. Sarge is the stable, Etch is testing, SID is unstable. And Etch is, you could say, Etch is sort of going to become the next version. You know, Sarge is stable, set in stone. The testing branch is what will become the next stable version. So at some point down the road, the Debian developers will say, Etch is stable enough. Let's call it, let's release it, and let's call it 3.2 Etch, or maybe 4.0 Etch, I don't know. But so... That's how they kind of name those two developmental trees. Now, unstable, the unstable branch of Debian will always be called SID because SID, the boy next door in Toy Story, is always unstable. So, <laughs> anyway, that's the way Debian works. So they kind of combine numbers and names. Let's take a look at Ubuntu. Um, they kind of sort of similar to Debian. Um, and, and you may recall I said that Ubuntu is based on Debian. Ubuntu's They've got a pretty short table here. They haven't been around that long. That's the right hand, the rightmost one, 4.10 Warty. The 4.10, the numbering system for Ubuntu, doesn't have anything to do with just, you know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. The first digit, the 4, is the year. In other words, 2004. And then the dot 10 is the month, or the 10th month, October. If you look right underneath it, it says release date, 
October 20th, 2004. Then they give it a nickname, Warty, Warty, um, Warty Warthog. The next version, 5.04, April of 2005, was called Hoary Hedgehog. And then last October, they released 5.10, called Breezy Badger. And then on this column, it says Snapshot. That means what's kind of going on in the development area now. The next version of Ubuntu will be called Dapper Drake. And that will be, I guess, 6.04, April of 2004. Ubuntu is trying to release every six months, April and October of every single year. So two releases per year. That's, I think, what Ubuntu is aiming for. Now let's take a let's go back uh, click back on the DistroWatch page. I'll show you something that kind of sh- illustrates how this whole numbering thing is pretty arbitrary. Let's click on PC Linux OS number 12. The current version of PC Linux OS is 0.92, so that's less than one. <laughs> so uh, it's pretty far away from the 10.0 that SUSE was or the 3.1 that Debian was. So again, you can kind of see these numbers don't mean much. I mean, the current version of PC Linux OS is 0.92, and the current version of SUSE is 10.0. The numbers are worlds apart, but the distributions have comparable packages. I mean, they were released about the same time, so they are generally, you know, have, have, have a comparable set of packages. So when you're talking about distributions and comparing distributions, the numbers really don't mean much. They do within the distribution itself. It certainly is important to talk about SUSE 10.0 versus SUSE 8.0, but then com- going outside that and comparing those numbers to other distributions, it just doesn't usually work. It really is kind of comparing apples and oranges. So hopefully this kind of explanation, again, I know it's pretty basic to a lot of people, and it may seem you know like a lot common sense, but um, you know it is I think confusing for new users coming from Windows or, or Macintosh where especially Windows, because they use they don't really use numbers anymore. They've got ME and XP and Vista and all that kind of stuff. It's, you know, to kind of wrap your head around the idea of looking at numbers as a way to track, um, you know, what version of applications or what version of a distribution you're using. So with that, I think it's probably time to wrap up the show. Thanks again, everyone, for checking this out. Um, I sure do appreciate it. You know, again, if you haven't done the Frapper Map thing, please go to linuxreality.com, click on Frapper Map, and put your virtual push pin on the uh, on the globe there. Also, feel free to vote for us over at podcastalley.com. Um, that'd be kind of cool. I always like seeing that and uh, uh, get our uh, get our little podcast here a little bit more exposure. Send the feedback, email, audio feedback, whatever you want. Send it to linuxreality at gmail.com. It's really, really welcomed and and much appreciated. This closing theme is Sand Away by the Exotics. I'd like to thank them very much for letting me use the tune. Next week, we're going to kind of stick with this idea of going back a little bit. There was another um, episode that I thought about down the road that I want to bring forward because I think it would be helpful to talk about before we look at actual live CDs, and that's the idea of, you know, this Linux sounds pretty cool. How do I get it? So next week we're going to talk about downloading ISO images, which are which is like the CD-ROM. You know how to how to do that. Um, where you can go to get CDs sent to you for little cost. What kind of applications you can use in Windows or Mac OS 10 to to create the CD that you can then boot. 
you know, all that kind of stuff. How it works, how to download it, how to get it. So, this has been Episode 5 of Linux Reality. Thanks again for listening. Please do stay subscribed. Let your friends and family know about us. Catch you next time. Take care. Bye-bye.